the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Thursday, July 13th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. I see Bill to my right. I see David Dahl at my noon. Hi, David. How are you in the production chair? Hi, noon. Just like Gary Cooper. Yeah, just like. So I, uh, I knew the son of... Um, I knew the son of the guy who wrote that. It's a great story. We'll talk about it later. Jonathan Foreman, son of Carl Foreman. Check me if I'm right. I believe Carl Foreman wrote High Noon. I believe I'm right about that. Uh, I know he did 310 to Yuma. 602 Looks like it's Carl. Carl, yeah. His son was Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan was my friend, still is. A few items. The U.S. Secret Service has concluded their investigation of the cocaine that was found in the White House. After three different stories from the White House spokesman as to where it was found, the Secret Service has also found no suspect. As Ed uh, Morrissey put it, case surprise. Did anyone really expect this investigation to pin the tail on anyone, let alone the kind of figure that might have situation room access in the administration, which is close to where the cocaine was found? As CNN reported, no fingerprints or DNA turned up on the baggie of cocaine found in a lobby at the White House last week. Despite a sophisticated FBI crime lab analysis and surveillance footage of the area, couldn't identify a suspect, according to summary of the Secret Service investigation. There are no leads on who brought the drugs into the building. And Ed responds, say what? How would that be possible? Plastic does keep fingerprints pretty well. And of course, any casual contact would leave traces of DNA. That would indicate that either A, someone walked around with it while wearing gloves and other ways of sealing themselves from physical contact with the bag, or B, someone cleaned it up. Add to that this question. What about surveillance cameras? Presumably, the West Wing should fairly hum with security equipment, especially surveillance systems. How else do they protect the office of the leader of the free world? It seems very, very difficult to believe that someone could sneak this kind of contraband into the office residence of the president and not be able to be identified, at least after the fact. If this bag contained anthrax rather than cocaine, are we to assume that the Secret Service couldn't have determined who brought it into the White House? This seems like a case of investigators not wanting to get to the bottom of a mystery more than having insurmountable obstacles to the solution. It sounds as familiar as the Department of Justice taking five years to investigate Hunter Biden's tax evasions and Christopher Wray's claim that five months isn't enough for him to investigate his own office in Richmond for proposing surveillance on traditional Catholics. It smells like a cover-up again. We still don't know who the leaker was from the Supreme Court on the Dobbs decision either, and that was over a year ago. Charlie Kirk posited that if you anonymously polled the Secret Service, there's probably a 99 out of 100 chance they'd all presume or identify the same suspect. Keep in mind where we are here. If this were anthrax or any other bioweapon or chemical weapon powder in the White House, the Secret Service is admitting they would not be able to find the suspect. Think about that admission. In other news worth contemplating... 
Byron York writes that this day eight years ago, July 13th, 2015, marked the last day that old-style Republican politics dominated the GOP presidential race. I'm quoting him. The day saw Jeb Bush, the former Florida governor and third Bush to run for the Republican nomination, firmly in the lead in a highly fractured GOP field with 17.8% of the national vote in the Real Clear Politics average of polls. I was eight points ahead of Wisconsin's then-Governor Scott Walker and eight and a half points ahead of a candidate who had never run for office before. Donald Trump. A week later, on July 20th, 2015, everything had changed. Trump shot from being eight and a half points back to three points ahead of Bush. By the end of August, that lead was more than 20 points. Trump led the race the entire way after that, with the exception of a minute in November 2015, when Ben Carson briefly took a lead of two-tenths of a percentage point. Byron continues, Trump's rapid ascent was attributable to his brash, entertaining style, his unprecedented ability to take control of a news cycle, and his willingness to speak frankly about one particular issue, immigration, that many Republican voters felt strongly about. Byron concludes this way, quote, in any event, this day eight years ago was the last day when a Reagan-Bush-era Republican was measurably at the top of a Republican presidential contest. Now another race is underway with a renewed battle between Trump and old-style Republicanism, representatives of what might be called the Reagan-Bush-Romney-era GOP. The after-effects of the change that took place in June and July of 2015 are still roiling Republican presidential politics. Get that phrase of his. Get that phrase. Now another race is underway with a renewed battle between Trump and old-style republicanism, representatives of what might be called the Reagan-Bush-Romney-Ryan era. I have to say, I'm just not on board with this analysis. I know it's respected and finds a lot of support, but I don't think it's quite right. Reagan era, that's one thing, if that term refers to a period of time. But adding Romney and Ryan to the list breaks the period in time, extending things into the 2000s and speaks to more of an ideology or culture or ethos of republicanism. And it's that I simply dissent from. I I don't agree with that analysis. This is much like the concept of not your grandfather's Republican Party or the Republican Party has changed or Goldwater, Reagan, fill in the blank, would never recognize today's Republican Party. I just don't agree. I mean, what was the Republican Party of, say, Gerald Ford? or Nelson Rockefeller, or Arlen Specter, or Wendell Wilkie, or Dwight Eisenhower? Did that represent some kind of movement? If it did, it represented the movement that spurred and encouraged Goldwater and Reagan. And it was encouraged by the eminent Greece of the conservative movement, William Buckley, who is thought of today as, well, still the model maker and eminent Greece of the conservative movement, someone everyone says they miss. It was Eisenhowerism that inspired Buckley to promote Goldwater. Our fathers and grandfathers and great grandfathers Republican is the party of Abraham Lincoln, Calvin Coolidge, Barry Goldwater, and Ronald Reagan. And among that great furling ribbon is a consistency that mutatis mutandis hewed to the same philosophical precepts, precepts and views that in their time were denounced as extreme by both Democrats and that other side of the Republican Party, denounced as extreme and unelectable. 
Anyone remember who Barry Goldwater was scolding when he said extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice? Not Democrats, not the Soviets, fellow Republicans who trashed him for being extreme. Anyone remember who gave the most famous television address of that year, 1964, and perhaps the most famous political television address of all time, with the possible exceptions of Richard Nixon's checkers and resignation speeches? Ronald Reagan, in his Time for Choosing speech, on behalf of Barry Goldwater. Is it that today's party is more concerned about certain issues? If so, what are they? Family and social values? The Republican Party was founded in 1856 and put in its party platform the language that slavery and polygamy were twin relics of barbarism. That's their language. The founding Republican Party's language going straight to the greatest issue of family values at the time, slavery and polygamy. The GOP also incorporated the Declaration of Independence into its platform. And ever since, it has been ardent in securing civil rights for racial minorities up and over and against the Democratic Party. Have we become softer or harder on communism than Reagan? Well, the country hosting and foisting communism on the free world has changed, but the fight has not. Crime, drugs, those were Reagan issues. Natural rights, eternal truths, and reliable standards of right and wrong. Here's Goldwater at his speech in 1964, quote, My fellow Americans, the tide has been running against freedom. Our people have followed false prophets. We must and we shall return to the proven ways, not because they are old, but because they are true. We must and we shall set the tide running again in the cause of freedom. And this party, with its every action, every word, every breath, and every heartbeat, has but a single resolve, and that is freedom. Freedom made orderly for this nation by our constitutional government. Freedom under a government limited by laws of nature and of nature's God. Freedom balanced so that liberty lacking order will not become the slavery of the prison cell. Balanced so that liberty lacking order will not become the license of the mob and of the jungle. Close quote. Illegal immigration? It wasn't the issue then that it is now, but Reagan in his inaugural could not have been more clear, quote, our sovereignty is not for sale, close quote, he said. The economy, taxes? Trump's first major successful legislation was right from the Kemp-Roth-Reagan set of tax reforms. It has done the same with religious freedom, and it has done the same with trying to adjust economic policy to enhance the working class's abilities to achieve and take part in the American dream, and it has done the same with abortion about which Ronald Reagan wrote a book when he was in office as president. Ours is the same party that has stood for the American dream. It did not and does not, like today's Democratic Party, offer separate national anthems, support those who take a knee for the original national anthem, refuse, pledge, refuse to pledge allegiance or hoist an American flag. It does not, like today's Democratic Party, even in Arizona, host Fourth of July parties that are titled F the Fourth. No, if we're looking for parties that have gone through expired and convoluted reinventions of themselves, it's not our party or movement. It's the left and the Democratic Party. Today's Democratic Party has a governor in Arizona that is called Republicans, white nationalists and neo-Nazis. It is a party that turns a blind eye and a deaf ear toward rioting and even hosts and boasts of a vice president who encouraged such rioting and helped fund the bailing out of violent rioters. It's a party that nominates and defends justices to the Supreme Court who cannot answer the question, what is a woman? It's a party that supports efforts to encourage children to physically change their biological sex and that supports concealing those efforts from their parents. 
Today's Democratic Party is a party that believes 1776 was not our founding date and that slavery is our national ethos of origin, not freedom and equality. It's a party that believes people should be judged for the most sublime positions, privileges, and immunities based on human beings' most crude characteristics, like their race, rather than their most refined and human characteristics, like their humanhood, their ability, and their morality. It's a party that supports the legalization of dangerous drugs and the encouragement to try to use them safely rather than to try to get help for addicts or support prevention so as to try to stop them from the enslavement of their souls and the destruction of their minds. It is a party that thinks it just fine to teach five-year-olds to think and act out sexually with age-inappropriate lessons and behaviors. It's a party that believes it's okay for men to compete in women's sports and at every age for men to enter and use women's bathrooms and showers and locker rooms. Today's Democratic Party is a party that wants to shovel hundreds of billions of dollars to the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world. It's a party that thinks we should have another official carbon copy of Iran or Syria in Gaza and the West Bank while stripping the rights and power of the United States' greatest ally in the Middle East, an ally that is as close to the United States in political and civil rights and freedom and foreign policy outlook as possibly can exist. It's a party that wants to boycott travel and finances to that country. It's a party that hosts and welcomes and is represented by self-declared socialists. Today's Democratic Party is quite different from anything I can think of John Kennedy or Lyndon Johnson or George McGovern or even FDR or Harry Truman waking up to and recognizing. Today's Republican Party is the same party that believes, as John Bingham, the author of the 14th Amendment, believed, that we are one country with one constitution consisting of one people. So no more farewells, please, to that which we didn't say goodbye to in the first place, but are instead welcoming back after too long a sojourn and slumber. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. A lot, a lot of movement going on around here. It's like watching the amount of chaos. like watching ducks in a shooting gallery. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. Is everything okay, boys? It takes a lot of heads to make a radio show okay. happen. All right, six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero What's your pin say, David? I have Percy for senator. Charles Percy, mm-hmm. Illinois, Percy, Illinois. Yep. Whatever you know, he was supposed to be some kind of thing in the seventies. Supposed to be like the next president in waiting. But yeah, I, I don't know a lot about him to be honest with you. I don't yeah, know a lot he, of he his personal ne- political yeah. viewpoints. If he's more to the left or more to the right. Well, Republican. he was a little bit odd. You know, weirdly, you know, my I quoted him earlier. My professor Harry Jaffa, the guy, who, guy, the professor who wrote that extremism line for Goldwater. He actually dedicated one of his books to Charles Percy, believe it or not. Really? Yeah, I think it was The Conditions of Freedom. And um, and I never asked him why, because he, <laughs> he was kind of a moderate, but he did endorse Goldwater, I believe, in 64. Mm-hmm. Um, he was running for governor then. Yeah. He was unsuccessful. And yeah. He ran for senator, and that's what I have yeah. the next year. And I am told that of the... Because there was somewhat of a Republican wave in 66, yeah. backlash to Lyndon sure. Johnson's policies in Vietnam. I am told that uh, 
of the Republicans that won in 66. So we have uh, Reagan. Yeah. I think Nelson Rockefeller got another term. Yeah. Guys like Chuck Percy. Yeah. Um, who else would have been elected in 66? I can't imagine. Bigger I, names. I, I just but, I know, don't know. The biggest of those uh, on our side being Reagan. Yeah. Um, of that crowd of 66 GOP winners, <laughs> Lyndon Johnson said the only one that could be president was Chuck Percy. Oh, really? So I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it just shows you he didn't know the Republican Party as well as he may have known his own, huh? Well, he didn't know his own party, as 68 would show you. Or he did. Yeah. Or he did. He knew he couldn't win, yeah. you know, in a sense. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I don't. And he just kind of fizzled. He just never. Percy. He just it never happened. He yeah. did He never really ran for president, did he? I don't think he did. No, I think he just kind of talked about it a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> he was the head of a camera company, wasn't he? I believe it's Bell, Bell, like Bell and Bell Howell. Hel- sure, Bell helicopters. Yeah, you know? no, yeah. Bell and Howell. Oh, Bell and Howell. Oh, yeah, not Bell <laughs> helicopters. Oh. I don't think so. We didn't have drones taking pictures in those days, young David. No, but, you know, they had <laughs> it wasn't a, a helicopter combined to a camera. <laughs> Come on, we've talked about mash enough on this show. <laughs> okay, fair enough. There used to be an old joke. Um, I don't know if people still use it. Like, what's the short? They used it usually against conservatives or Republicans. What's the shortest book ever written? The wit and wisdom of Ronald Reagan was the joke. Or the wit and wisdom of, I don't know, I think they probably did it to Dan Quayle and a few others, you know, obviously unfairly. But that was the jape. Like a Dan Quayle dictionary or something like that. Yeah, they just, yeah. yeah, But the folks at Issues and Insights have their version of the world's shortest book. It's as they would say, should be titled The Promises I Kept by President Joe Biden. So I think we need to inject that, world's shortest book, The Promises I Kept by President Joe Biden. And they write, during his 2020 presidential campaign, Joe Biden tweeted that, quote, we need to restore honor and decency to the White House, close quote. On his first day in office, he promised to bring transparency and truth back to government, quote, close quote. For anyone keeping score, both of these promises bit the dust after cocaine was discovered in the White House and the Secret Service started stonewalling the public about the details. This comes days after Biden let transgenders parade around topless on the White House lawn while he desecrated the American flag and years into running what is widely described as the most opaque administration in history. Decency and transparency. What a laugh. But those are only two of the growing list of campaign promises, big and small, on which Biden has failed to deliver. Let me run down some more of them for you when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. India, Russia, China, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, they're all conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration sends hundreds of billions abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure. However, the biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency. It's real. The patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. But the vets at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase, the end of cash, ties to social credit, 
own private currency, gold and silver. Now get free silver just for asking Midas Gold how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at MidasGoldGroup.com. MidasGoldGroup.com. Has there ever been a movie so hyped that any of you can remember as this Barbie thing? Why is there story after story? And, oh, my gosh, the ads. But the free publicity it's all getting... I got to tell you, you know, I, I'm hoping that the new Mission Impossible, which comes out soon, is going to be as good as it usually is. And I'm just hoping it overwhelms. Why are you smiling? I'm hoping it overwhelms this Barbie thing and just puts it to shame. You're There's- forgetting about the elephant in the room, the figurative nuclear bomb. <laughs> the trans thing? No, uh, Oppenheimer. Which oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. The literal. Okay. Yes. The bomb. That looks good, too. Okay, do you know that Arizona has only one of 30 theaters in the world Why? That can, Why? that can screen that in the correct aspect ratio? No. Because Chris Nolan filmed that in a very, very specific aspect ratio yeah. for IMAX. No kidding. And it's, it's, it's only certain IMAX theaters either. No kidding. Yeah. And so By the way, what's that, that, what's that phrase you're it? using? I don't know that phrase. Factor ratio? What is it? Aspect ratio. What is that? It's like when you take a picture, yeah. or in this case, screen a movie. It's uh, how wide or how deep or the the, the screen is. Okay. The picture is so many older films were like four to three. Uh huh. Or um, especially old TV sets were four to three aspect yeah. ratio. Now it's a bit bigger, yeah. and wider, and you know that's how, why like, we see the black. Yeah, right, square, right, and they right. Have the black in the side. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, and, and we only have one theater that can do it. Only one theater. In, in, <laughs> Good on them, I suppose. And, okay. and that's only one of. Thirty in the world. That You're can kidding. The correct aspect ratio. Was this not something off. they could have figured out before? Well, they... he did that on purpose. He did because he wanted people to see it in IMAX. Okay. Well, let's hope that's a good movie too. In Barry's Barbie, I'm, I'm very hoping. It, I'm thinking it will. All right, yeah, but yeah. but but Mission Impossible ought to be. I'm hoping it's a it's seen as a conservative film. I'm hoping it is, and I hope it just Barry. I don't want to see any more of this pink. I don't want to see any more of this whiny. I don't want to see any more of this. It's just it just looks like the. The cheapening and dumbing down and infantilization and whininess of adults. I hate adults playing kids, by the way. I've never liked it. Which, by the way, was not true of Peanuts. Charles Schultz, those yeah. were literally children's voices. So did they keep changing them every so every so often? They might have, but yeah. I know. Yes, in fact, they did because one of the books Lee Habib was, uh, yes, was promoting was by one of the people who played Lucy. So I thought maybe she was the first or the second Lucy or something. Yeah, they were never adults mocked as children. They were children's voices to be children. I've never liked adults playing children like this. It just, it never, I can't think of a single example where it's any good. It just seems wrong. It just seems wrong. I didn't get to the Biden promises but I will when I come back. This was a shorter segment. We'll do it when we come back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just I, 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 we're, we're in a weird place in society when you think about it where we're making children grow up too fast by exposing them to far too adult and mature themes than they're ready for. At the same time, in the other direction, we're infantilizing adults. And we're meeting in the middle at a, at a bloody crossroads here for society and culture that's just 
going to have, I think, terrible implications. I think you're already beginning to see them. We have a lot of problems. We have a lot of problems. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Little John Sebastian there for you. Same singer from Welcome Back, Cotter. Love and Spoonful. And he wrote that song for Johnny Cash, too, didn't he? Darling Companion. Pretty sure. All right. As promised and as delayed, my apologies. The World's Shortest Book, The Promises I Kept by Joe Biden. We already did decency and transparency. Here are a few of the big ones. This is from Issues and Insights. Unity. In his victory speech in November 2020, Biden said that it's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again, and to make progress. We have to stop treating our opponents as enemies. Biden would go on to compare his political opponents to fascists and laws he disagreed with as Jim Crow 2.0. His language and actions have managed to deepen divisions across the nation. 74% of Americans now say the U.S. is divided, up from 61% in 2021. We didn't even add comparing Republicans to the party of Bull Connor, George Wallace, and Jefferson Davis. How about Build Back Better? Biden promised to rescue the economy, boost wages, restore the middle class. But wages have been on the decline thanks to Bidenflation. The economy is teetering on the edge of another recession. As we pointed out in this space, job growth has been wildly exaggerated and the middle class is more financially stressed than it was before COVID. Rather than getting a $5,000 income boost as promised, households are more than $7,000 worse off. Thanks to Biden. Opioid crisis. Biden said during his campaign that he had a plan to end the opioid crisis. Step one, quote, is to defeat Donald Trump and then protect and build on Obamacare, he said. How's that worked out? There have been more opioid overdose deaths in the past two years than ever in history. This year will probably continue the trend. During the first five months of 2023, for example, San Francisco alone saw a 40 percent increase in the number of fentanyl deaths over the same time last year. Border security. Biden swore he would, quote, direct federal resources to smart border enforcement efforts like investments in improving screening infrastructure at our ports of entry that will actually keep America safer, close quote. He also claimed that dealing with root causes would reduce the number of illegal border crossers. Since he's been in office, illegal border crossings have been at all-time highs, as have death among illegal, deaths among illegal border crossers and the number of missing migrant children. What is it about this party that doesn't seem to care about the deaths of those trying to cross the border and the missing migrant children? Boy, you would think we were reinstating concentration camps when Donald Trump was president. The tears, the crocodile tears, the fake pictures from AOC weeping in front of a parking lot. The story after story about children in cages, which was a policy developed by Barack Obama. And now we have missing children and dead border crossers, and they just don't care. 
gun violence. Biden assured us that he would end our gun violence epidemic. That's what he called it by implementing, quote, proven strategies for reducing gun violence in urban communities without turning to incarceration. But violent crime rates are on the rise, and the number of gun deaths was higher in 2021 and 2022 than it had been in the previous seven years. Honesty and integrity. While the press has attempted to paper them over, Biden is now embroiled in a series of scandals that make Anything Trump was accused of doing pale by comparison. Plus, it's becoming increasingly apparent that a politicalized Justice Department has been protecting the president while targeting conservatives. Voters by a two to one margin think Biden took bribes while vice president. I bet not even that many Americans thought Spiro Agnew did. We won't even bother to mention Biden's failure to stop covid And could go on and on and on with other broken campaign promises, plus the way Biden has failed to live up to the promises of his backers, which would probably result in the world's longest book. Just as a reminder, here's what Tom Ridge, who was Homeland Security Secretary under President Bush, said in 2020 when he announced he was backing Biden, quote, I believe the responsible vote is for Joe Biden. It's a vote for decency, a vote for the rule of law and a vote for honest and earnest leadership, close quote. We'd love to see someone ask Ridge how he feels about those words today. I have never seen an example. Maybe you think of one, David, or someone in the audience. I've never seen an example of a movement of Republicans endorsing a Democrat where it worked out well. Look at the Republicans that gave us and endorsed Katie Hobbs. How's that working I've just never seen it. I've never seen it. I've never seen that that Democrat works out well or becomes successful. I've just never seen it. It really is the putting of personalities over principles and the personalities over policies. If you go back to my monologue, actually, and think a little bit about it, what was it Tom Ridge was so opposed to? He was the director of Homeland Security. He was the director of Homeland Security. In that job, he would have been responsible for, among other things, say it with me, the border. And he took the credibility of being a Republican to endorse Joe Biden away from a president who had finally gotten control of an out-of-control border. What was the motivation, you think? Sometimes these, pe- <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes these people think they might get a job. You saw this a little bit with Republicans. That's really maybe the wrong word. There was a conservative movement in 76 that backed Jimmy Carter, thinking that was the better option. How'd that work out? It's a great example of not working out. One of those movement conservatives got a job as envoy to Micronesia. It's the highest job one of those conservatives got in the Carter administration, to which Daniel Patrick Moynihan said, not even Macronesia. Kind of funny. But, yeah, I just, I I guess I don't have much influence with 
famous or well-known or well-respected elected Republicans who make these kinds of endorsements. But with an audience that's attuned to some of the stuff that goes on around here, maybe just take it as a cautionary note for a much deeper question when a Republican endorses a Democrat. To just step back and ask, now, what is it about him you're endorsing? What is it about him? I remember I had an interview who was the uh, Republican he died recently? Gosh, Grant Wood, when he endorsed uh, Grant Woods, when he endorsed uh, the Democrat against Doug Ducey. I had him on the show. He was doing TV ads as a Republican for the Democratic candidate for governor. You know what it boiled down to? They were college roommates. So if, you know, some great principle, some great care for the state, some great care for the party, some great care for society— I'm going to use my credibility as a Republican to endorse the other guy because we were con- we were college roommates. Stock market volatility, bank failures, talk of a recession, inflation still high. Where do you invest? You invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve that is being offered up by Y-Refi. It's a portfolio where you will know what each monthly statement will look like. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio. It delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why Refi is based here locally. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101 I have. I can tell you that you will not get a sales pitch and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. But when you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. A due diligence approved firm, Why Refi is offering up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. In our conversation with Tevi Troy, presidential historian Tevi Troy yesterday, I was asking him if he was uh, making anything of... Some leaks out of the balloon, if you will. The leaks out of the balloon being a few liberal or Democratic Party-aligned columnists here and there writing some negative things here and there about Joe Biden. Maureen Dowd had a scalding op-ed against Joe Biden on Sunday, and then you had the Politico piece on Joe Biden's temper and anger, a few other commentaries about Hunter Biden. And Tevi, like me, is skeptical about those things and even thought that the um, anger article was a plant to make Joe Joe Biden actually just look tough. But there's a pretty interesting piece in today's New York Times by Frank Brunei. He's certainly liberal and left aligned. And he's saying that um, it's titled Democrats. It's okay to talk about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And it's pretty scalding, too. If you're in Democratic circles and you say something negative, you'll be asked, what do Hunter Biden and diminished Vim matter next to the menace of Donald Trump and a Republican Party and his lawlessness and nihilistic thrall do for you? And he says that's a fair question. 
but past that point, it's dishonest and dangerous. Dishonest because the question is often leveled at essentially Biden-friendly observers who have lavished, oh, 100 times as many words on Trump's epic moral corruption as on Biden's, creating zero impression of any equivalence. Dangerous because it suggests that Americans can't be trusted to behold politicians in their full complexity. Well, three or four articles isn't a pattern, but it's something. It's something new. We'll keep our eyes on it. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 